we always enjoy the music and we appreciate uh, the time they spend in preparing us to worship the Lord on his day. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Now, for those of you who have been with us the last few weeks, <clears throat> the last couple of Lord's Day, I have talked about a place called heaven. And <clears throat> the question I want to ask you is, how do we know and why do we believe that there is a place called heaven? I must say, when I got the call that uh, Brother Tom had uh, gone into the presence of the Lord, one of the first things I thought about is how I was going to miss him sitting right there. Tom and I go back for many, many years. But we're grateful the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so my question is, uh, why do we believe that there is a heaven? Science doesn't teach us that. History doesn't teach us that. The reason we believe that there is a place called heaven is because of what Jesus said. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we believe that the place he is going to prepare is heaven because when you get to Revelation 21, the Bible makes it clear about heaven. And so here's my question. If we accept what Jesus said about heaven, that it is a place and that there is a path to get there, and you remember what the path is, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except from me or through me. So if we believe in heaven, then the question is, why must we not believe in hell? Because Jesus said that there's a heaven, but in our text, Jesus says there's a hell. Now, the way people get around that is that they say that the Bible contains the Word of God rather than is the Word of God. Now, there's a big difference in those two. If I believe as a preaching pastor that the Bible just contains the Word of God, then I can take out what I don't agree with. However, if I am committed to preaching the whole counsel of God, then I must accept not only the good news, but the bad news. And so today, and this has been a struggle this week, because I know that the subject of hell is particularly unpopular today. You rarely hear a sermon anymore about hell. Fifty years ago, 75 years ago, people were, were, would hear in the pew from the pulpit that Jesus had something to say about hell. Now I'm going to read this lengthy passage, and it'll be on the screen. And I, if you did not bring your Bibles, let me encourage you to think with an open mind and with a receptive heart what Jesus said about hell. Now, we accept what he said about heaven. We believe that we must accept what he said about hell. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. 
There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine mining and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we have two different men, two different deaths, two different destinations. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. These are the words of Jesus. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And listen what Jesus said. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and to the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, there's two schools of thought as to whether this is a parable or an actual story that Jesus told because he wanted to make a salient point. Now, the reason there are people who believe it is an actual story, an event, is because when you read all the parables, they never mention proper names, whether in Luke chapter 15... You have the story of the woman who lost a coin, the shepherd who lost a sheep, and the prodigal who was the son of the father. But proper names are not used. In the other parables, you have no mention of proper names. In this story, two proper names are mentioned. One is Abraham, who was called the father of Israel, and the other one is Lazarus. Now, let's not confuse this Lazarus with the one in John 11. So it's up to you to determine what you believe, whether it's a parable or whether it's a story. It really doesn't make that much difference because it is the truth of what is being told here that is important. It is an unpopular story, but we have here 
that, and let me say this, did you know that in the New Testament, Jesus had more to say about hell than he did heaven? Now, I've read that many times, but in the teachings of Jesus, there seems to be a little greater emphasis on warning people about hell than telling people about heaven. And so what we have in this story or parable, you choose whatever you want to, we have two different men, two different deaths, and two different destinations. The first, it says that there was a rich man. Now, he was a a man who was dressed, the Bible says, in purple and fine linen. And by the way, the, the, the idea of purple and fine linen in ancient times often spoke of people who were of royalty. Now, I'm not saying that this man was of royalty, but in the ancient days, to wear purple and to have fine linen indicated that you were a per- person of high standing. The Bible also says about this rich man that he lived in luxury every day. In other words, every day he lived, he lived in, er- uh, in luxury and that he ate the finest food. It, it says that uh, he had fine linens and lived in luxury every day. And then it said, the the beggar longed just to have the crumbs that fell from his table. In my mind's eyes, I have spent hours this week meditating on this story or parable. It occurred to me that this man probably ate the best of the best. And I could not, and I'm going to deviate a little bit from the text. When I read about the the man who was well-dressed, he lived in luxury, he ate the best, lobster and filet mignon and he was a caviar man perhaps it occurred to me that he reminds me of what we have today that are called the hallowed elite you know the people in Hollywood or the people in Lake Tahoe you have a bunch of them that live in Washington DC and they're well to do and they've gotten rich and they think although they try to hide it that they're just a little better than us common folks. I mean, you listen to them talk, and I don't want to be unkind here, but folks, I've met one or two of those kind of people in Franklin County. There are a certain group of people because they have an accumulation of wealth that somehow that, that makes them a little better than all. Folks, we're all the same in the sight of God. And it doesn't make any difference how much money is in your portfolio or how much uh, your car costs. In the end, we're all going to die and face God. And the idea is that there's a difference. And what bothers me is some of these athletes who make $50 million a year and probably made D's just to get through college, but yet because they have so much money, they think they know everything about everything. I don't care what they think. Just play ball and let me watch you. The point I'm trying to make is is that people who live in luxury somehow believe that they are endued with a certain superiority in the sight of God. We're all people who stand in the need of Jesus Christ. And so we go from the man who lived in luxury in verse 20, the poor man died it says and at the gate 
was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sword. So what do we know about the rich man? Well, first of all, he wasn't just poor. He was a beggar. And the word laid here, I spent some time studying that word. The word says he was laid at the gate of the rich man. That word indicates that somebody just dumped him off there. That the man had no one to love him. No family, no friends. Nobody cared about him. He was poor. He was sick. He was full of sores. Even the dogs came and licked at his sword. It was a pitiful picture of a man who is at the bottom of the barrel. But the good thing about him is, as he had sometime in his life, he had encountered faith. And of course, it's in the context of the Old Testament. And, and, and by faith, he looked to something beyond himself. He died, he had no family, no friends, nobody. He was hungry and he was covered with sore. A pitiful picture indeed. But now we have a dramatic shift in the story. In verse 22, look, it says, And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The time came... When the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. I think some of the other translations, maybe the King James, says Abraham's bosom. Now look up here just a minute. Let me deal with this concept. In the Old Testament, oftentimes death for the people of faith was seen as going back to your family. And, and, and the Bible makes it clear because I've written down a, a, a couple of of, uh, of biblical references. In Genesis 25, the Bible says about Abraham, the Abraham talked about here. Abraham therefore died and at a good old age, now he was a little older than me, but not much. He died at a good old age and was gathered to his people. That is an Old Testament construct that when they died, they went to a place of rest and peace. Listen to what 2 Kings chapter 22 says. Therefore, I will gather you to your father, and you will be buried in peace. And so what we have here is this man who in faith was carried by the angels to the bosom or to the side of Abraham. Abraham, the father of Israel, was looked up to, and in their concept, the idea of heaven is you go to a place of rest, a place of peace, and a place of no servers. It is in the New Testament that we have a fuller revelation of a place called heaven. And so we have here that Abraham's bosom or side stands for what we would call heaven where it's peace and rest. And he was buried. Now, now notice in verse 22 and 23. Let me, let me pick it up here. The rich man also died and was buried. So what would we have? We have two different men and we have two different deaths. 
The rich man also died and was buried, and then it says, In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. And so what we have here in this story is that there's a place called heaven. Jesus made that abundantly clear. And according to what Jesus said here, there's a place called hell, and it is a place of torment. Now, however you want to interpret that. Now, there's some people who interpret hell not having the concept of fire or thermal energy, but a place of loneliness, a place of separation from God, a place of agony, a place of, uh, of torment. Any way you look at hell, according to, to Jesus, it is a place where God is not there. And one of the saddest places is to be separated from God. To be in a place where there is no love, no, no kindness. And, 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 then you, and I, I got to thinking, and, and maybe it's just me, but I am sure that when this man who had a lot of money died, he had an elaborate funeral. And back in those days, you hired people to mourn your death. That's it's true. And so he, he had about a dozen mourners who lamented his death. They really didn't care, but they got paid to do it, and so they acted like they were real sorry that he had died. People really did back in that day. They had professional mourners. And in my mind's eye, I could imagine if they had a eulogy, somebody got up and, and told about what a good man he was. He gave a lot of money to this organization, and he gave a lot of money to that charity. And folks, I have been to some funerals where the preacher, when he had preached, and I would think, you're not talking about the same person I know. Because there is this con concept today that everybody goes to heaven. Read the obituary. Everybody goes to heaven according to the newspaper. And it doesn't make any difference. They've never darkened the door of the church. It doesn't make any difference about anything. It seems that we have this idea that we accept with its full fury the wonderful concept of heaven but we reject what Jesus said about hell. And, and, and I'm not one of these preachers who, and, and when I first started preaching, occasionally I would hear a preacher, when they would preach on hell, they, were almost, they preached as if they were glad people were going there. Folks, hell is a terrible place. And the only reason I'm up here preaching it is because Jesus talked about it. And I wish I could tell you that when everybody dies, everybody will go to heaven. But that's not the Bible. Our uh, belief about heaven comes from Jesus. Our belief about hell comes from Jesus. That's the point I'm trying to make. And so they had this elaborate funeral, and somebody got up there and talked how good he was. And in my mind's eye, you remember later in the story, he had five brothers, and they were there wondering how much money he had left in their will, his will. And so he dies, and the Bible says he was buried. 
and it says, in hell, and, and, and in verse 23, I want you to look there, if you can put that up, yeah, verse 23, it, it, it says in verse 23, in hell, where he was in torment, those are sad words, in hell, where he was in torment. Now, now this is a story or parable that Jesus is telling. And so, Christian, what I'm trying to get us to see today is that our authority about heaven is because Jesus told us and our authority about hell is because Jesus is telling us. And so we must be serious. And these seven words, in hell where he was in torment, or sad words. Let me stop right here and say, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Did you know the Bible teaches us? In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises as some people count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, God does not want any to perish, but in order to avoid hell, there must be repentance. You see what he's saying there? And Peter, in writing, he says, God is not slack concerning his promises, but he is not wanting or wishing for anybody to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. And the Bible verse that probably all of us know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The heart of God is for us to go and to be with Jesus in heaven. That's what he wants for me. That's what he wants for you. And if you're here today, and you're not sure about where you stand with the Lord, it is more important that you know where your destination is because let me tell you, on the authority of an 84-year-old man, and I know I'm old because some of you have kind of indicated it to me. <laughs> Hurt my feelings. But I want to tell you something, folks. Life is short. I remember my precious mother who loved Jesus She's about 96. And just before she died, we were talking one day, and I said, Mom, has life been short? She says, it's been short. Life is short, folks. Death is sure. Hell is hot. And eternity is a long time. Therefore, where we spend eternity is more important than anything on earth. More important than your bank account, more important how much education you have, more important what position you have. Where we spend eternity, the man died and went to hell. And then in verse 24, and we got to hurry through what, oh, I got a lot of time. Verse 24, he said, and so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus. Now, what does that say? He was conscious 
He wasn't just some numb, dead spirit. He was conscious, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But listen to what Abraham replied, son, remember. And boy, that's sad. I wish I had a little more time, but one of the horrible things about hell is people are going to remember the times that they have rejected Jesus. And folks, we're living in a country that's gospel-hardened. You can, you can, on any day of the week, I was visiting a fellow the other day, and he told me, he said, every day when I get up, I, I, I listen to Dr. David Jeremiah, who is a great preacher, and he says, and I think it was uh, Charles Stanley, he said, two hours every day I listen to them. You can go every day and hear the gospel in America. And that's the reason Ruth Graham said 50 years ago, if God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because you see, in America, we've thumbed our nose about God. We've, we've kicked God out of the classroom and the courtroom and we're teaching all kind of things that in the sight of God is a perversion. Folks, some of the stuff is going on now. It will destroy our children if we do not protect them. And therefore, because we were founded on the Judeo-Christian principles, they came here seeking to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ and we've jettisoned that and we have become a secular nation and I stood in a pulpit in Poland 10 years ago and was preaching through a translator in a Polish church and the first thing I said I believe was that America is not a Christian nation. And so I say to you today we need to take seriously what's going on here he said, have pity for me because I'm in torment. And, and then he says, I beg you, Lazarus, uh, to send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers and let them be warned so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, well, they had Moses and the prophets. That's the reason I, I refer to this as a kind of an Old Testament construct. They had the prophets. They had Moses. And they did not listen to those men of God. And then he said, oh, but if, they, if, 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 they would, if you would just send Moses or the prophets, they'll be warned. And then he said, no, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And listen to what the last verse says. He said to him, if they did not listen to Moses, if they did not listen to the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Do you see what he's saying there? You know, people will say, oh, you know, if God would just show us a miracle, we would believe. No, we wouldn't. If we will not believe the preaching of the gospel, if we will not believe that, that, that Jesus is not only the one who prepares a place, but Jesus is the path to the place called heaven. Let me give you two quick illustrations and I'm through. As a young preacher, I was so young, I guess, 
but there was a, a brush fire in our community and there was an elderly man because he couldn't get around very long, very quick, and, and so his feet were, were burned in the brush fire. And, and he didn't attend our church, and so I, I went to him and, and his feet were, were burned and he, he was, I mean, it, it was a serious type of situation. And I, and I shared the gospel with him. I must have been 22 or 3 years old, and he was, I thought he was old as dirt. He was about 70, I think. <laughs> and I presented the gospel, and you know what he said to me? He said, I'm going to wait. And I thought to myself, I wonder if he waited until he died and went to hell. And the other illustration is this is a true story. In my senior year of college, I, I was an assistant to the chaplain at the Veterans Hospital in Columbia, South Carolina. Now, this is in 1960 or 61. And my job was assigned to the heart patient ward at the Veterans Hospital. And, and of course, I was young, but, you know, that these men were World War II veterans. Some of them were maybe even two but anyway, they, they were probably in somewhere in a range of 50 to 60, 70 years of age. And, and, and so if I remember correctly, even though I had not been ordained, uh, but I was the assistant to the chaplain, so I, I think they would call me preacher. I can't remember that. But I would go around, and it was, they were on a ward, and back then a ward was a ward. There were like 14 or 16 men in this big room. And I would go from bed to bed, and talk with them and share with them and talk with them about their lives. I, I ran into one or two of them, and, and, and they did not even remember the day of their birth. They didn't keep records in South Carolina, evidently, very well. But I ran across this one man, and he had an attitude. He said, young man, I don't believe anything you're saying now. I'm not making this up. He said, I don't believe there's... What you're saying, I don't believe any of it. He said, I, I don't believe what you're saying is true. He said, I'll be glad when I die just to see if any of this stuff is true. Well, I'll be honest with you, that threatened me a little bit. And I would still go and I'd speak to him. And I went once a week and I'd spend two or three hours. And I went on one, one week, and, and when I got there, I noticed his bed was empty. And one of the first people I went to, he said, oh, preacher, he said, did you hear, and I'll just call him Jim. He said, uh, did you hear about Jim? I said, no, what are you talking about? He said, preacher, during the night, something happened to him, and, and, and he was in physical trouble and, and, and just before he died, he kept crying, help me, help me, help me. And I cannot help but believe that this man who thumbed his nose at God, who said, I'll be glad when I die to see if any of this stuff is true. I'm wondering if somehow he was not facing hell and knew that that was where he was headed. Folks, this is serious business. Where you spend eternity is important. Jesus talked about heaven. But Jesus told us there's a place called hell. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would just erase anything that I've said that has not honored you. But if there's anything, Lord, that is pertinent, anything that's important, anything that is biblical, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to meditate and to think and reflect on it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we make this prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.